0: Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the nine-to-five mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Lars Lindstrom here, Creative Income. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Uh, What do we got going on? Let's see. Um, Our floors are done, and they're freaking beautiful. But, uh, I can't bring the furniture in the rooms yet. We gotta let it cure a little bit longer. So we're pretty close. Pretty close to having an office. In the meantime, I just kicked my wife out of the bedroom again. It's ten twenty p.m. She was all nice and ready for bed, all cuddled in. And and I said, I'm too insecure to do the intro outro with you here still. You know? So I kicked her out. She wasn't very happy about it. You can, uh, follow along on Instagram. Or you can, uh, <laughs> see the story that she... Recorded of me, and then I reposted. Anyway, um, uh, let's see. What do we got going on? I want to try a thing. I talked about acorns a lot on this podcast because uh, it's, I think, a really simple way for creatives to kind of get in the habit of daily contributions or monthly contributions to start compounding your money that you're making. Um, on my podcast, uh, the Instagram page, the Creative Income Podcast Instagram page, there is a link in the bio right now that will take you to... Um, an Acorns link and you can set up an account if I get three people to do it I get 500 bucks from Acorns so it's not like an ad because it's just like a promo thing they're doing but I want to see if we can do it Um, we had a lot of uh, traffic pick up the last couple weeks on the podcast which I'm really excited about we had two pretty high profile guests back to back so thank you Patrick O'Sullivan from The Wandering DP and thank you Cole Walliser for having 1.5 million uh, followers on Instagram so, anyway, um, yeah, a lot of you are new. Welcome. If you haven't uh, listened to the rest of the episodes, you can hang out, go back and listen to a few. Uh, we're having a great time. I feel like I'm learning a lot. You're learning a lot. We're all having fun. Uh, the only person maybe not super excited about the podcast is my wife, right now, who's downstairs on the couch. So, that's exciting. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, today I've got a—I a, feel like I want to say good friend, Philip Goodwin, Um He is a good friend. I've collaborated with Phil. He's just one of the nicest guys in the world, and uh, I'm going to get lunch with him. Oh, here's a question. Gentlemen, how many of you say brunch? I said brunch, I think, on one of the last episodes, and I got not, not a lot of slack for it, but I did get some. And I didn't realize that that was maybe a thing that isn't said, I guess, or very commonly said by guys hit me up. Let's get brunch. (laughs) I want to get brunch with you. Let's do it soon. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Here's Phil. Hey, Philip, thanks so much for being here, man. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Lars. This is great. Yeah. Coming to us live from uh, your car, I I, I presume.
1: Yeah. Well, the production trailer was too noisy, so I'm parked next to the production trailer here in beautiful Orem, Utah.
0: (laughs) Okay, great. Well, the audio is nice. So like those uh, those car interiors are perfect little uh, podcast studios. Thank
1: you, Toyota. Yeah.
0: Yeah, perfect. Brought to you by Toyota. Toyota, you listening? Could be a sponsor. You should know
1: yeah. that I moved my truck over here to be quieter from the generators and then someone decided to play saxophone in the park. So hopefully they don't
0: interrupt us. Are you kidding me? No, I, I can't hear it yet. So so that's uh, Anyway, well thank you for being here, man. Uh if you wouldn't mind just doing a little introduction, tell us who you are and what you do.
1: Yeah. I'm Philip Goodwin. I live in the Bay Area. I run a video company called Heck, heck.video. And I, we say, we say we make videos, uh, you know, I have like a really varied background. Um, so
0: yeah, let's, let's jump in. Let's jump into that. How did you get started? Um, cause I've, I've known you originally as like a graphics artist, uh, uh, just an After Effects guru. Um, but you do so, so much more. So talk to me about how you got started and, and, uh, then we'll talk about heck.
1: Cool. Well, I'm sure, like every filmmaker, I was that uh, '90s kid with the camcorder, making uh, you know spoof videos with my with my middle school buddies or whatever. And uh, I, I I always did this kind of stuff as a kid. When I was in eighth grade, the iMac DV came out, and uh, my dad loved computers, so all of a sudden we had iMovie. That that was that was iMovie coming to the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, so I went to film school, and. I specialized in directing and editing, but I really just loved doing everything. I, I would I would have loved to be a production designer. I love uh, cinematography. I did a lot of editing, which led to motion graphics um, and, and the After Effects side. So, you know, in school, they always told me, you got to specialize. You can find your niche. Nobody wants a generalist. And I just kind of ignored that. and mm-hmm. <laughs> And my freelance career was very general. And now... Now I can run a, a hack as a company that, that kind of does everything, of course, with a lot more people as, as the specialists. But that's that's sort of been my pattern and it's worked so far.
0: Yeah. Okay. So at what point, so you graduate college and let's say directing, editing. Um, at what point did you get your first paying gig? Was it always freelance? Uh, did you have a, a nine to five at all? Or, or talk to me about some of those early beginnings in, in creating income?
1: Yeah. So I graduated from college 2010, like bottom of the recession.
0: Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. It was rough. Um, not a lot of me too. I, that was when I got my undergrad was 2010.
1: Oh, there you go. Yeah. So I had interviews. I mean, I, I applied everywhere. Um, I had an interview at Leica up in Portland, um, Pixar. Uh, I, I really wanted to get down to LA and nothing was working. I, it, everybody wanted a job. There was just so much demand. And, and I ended up getting a job through a personal connection, making videos in-house at an insurance company, actually a funeral insurance company. Okay. I had never heard of them or funeral insurance, but, you know, it was a great salary, and it was uh, back in the Northwest where I'm from. So it was, it was good timing overall, and we took the job. And, okay. By the way, do you want me to talk rates?
0: I would love if you talked rates. Yeah, some people aren't comfortable, but if you are that'd be fantastic.
1: I'm I'm mostly very comfortable. Great. So I got this job setting up their in-house video team. The salary I want to say was 50 or 60, which was a great job right out of college. I think uh, we had uh, one little baby on the way, so it was very exciting and I worked there for almost 2 years. And during lunch and in the evenings I was writing my screenplays. And I started freelancing and uh, I started working with some of my other friends who were just freelancing at a school like Devin Graham and uh, Jared Cook. And I started like traveling the world. We did this this uh, water jetpack video, went to Jerusalem. I was having so much fun freelancing and, and writing my screenplays that I finally, <laughs> I finally realized I was making more money and having more fun as a freelancer.
0: Yeah, did that happen? Over one year, two. You said the two years that you were working uh, for this this funeral insurance company, uh, your freelance gig started to take over the the uh, salary.
1: In this, in my second year of that corporate job, I I really started to branch out. Part of it was that my job was really empowering me to do stuff. They let me use their cameras and lights for freelance projects, which was huge. Well, wow. they let me learn after effects on the job. So like my first after after effects thing was like their logo, you know? And incredible. I'd never studied anything after effects or motion design in school. It was all after the fact, but it it really fit well for me. So my freelance did student- you just
0: like go on to like video copilot and uh watch all the videos?
1: I did every video copilot tutorial. Um a lot of a lot of early YouTube tutorials on there. Yeah. Evan Abrams. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh from there I had a very sneaky plan where I lined up this internship in LA and I told my boss that it was like a 1 month um course. And <laughs> and and after a month me and my wife decided if it didn't work out I would just come back and keep going with my job in Portland, but in in reality I was doing a 3 month internship at Zoic Studios in LA and I had also told them I was local. I flew down next day for an interview at Zoic um, because they required locals. And I got uh, credit at Portland Community College so I could be enrolled and receiving credit. And uh, oh, I set up this internship at Zoic. And one month in, it was amazing. I, I actually doubled down and I got an internship at Lionsgate at the same time. So I was doing um, split days or, or uh, two internships a week. And, my goodness. Uh, that's how I got to LA and started freelancing in LA.
0: Okay. Wow. I actually didn't know that about you. And, and I think I, I will say um, one thing that sounds already very apparent to me is that you're just kind of like a hustler. Like you just don't know when to quit, uh, <laughs> probably for better or for worse. Um, but that's kind of what it sounds like. And, and maybe that's why you were making just as much money as a freelancer two years into the gig as you were as like a $60,000 a year salary job. Um, cause I, I think a lot of people struggle with that, right. Where it's just like, if they are starting out freelancing, maybe it takes four or five years before they're making that kind of, that kind of change. Um, so talk to me about your relationships with people, your hustle, uh, some of, some of those like more, I would say person to person attributes that maybe don't, people don't have.
1: You know, I, I always thought of myself as like a very polite, uh, respectful person who followed all the rules and, um. My dad used to give me a hard time about this. In fact, when I was applying to film school, he said, if you're going to have a career in filmmaking, you need to be that guy, that guy who's really driven, you know, um, making things happen, following up, like asking the uncomfortable questions and favors, like getting access to things. A lot of filmmaking is getting permission or or telling everyone that you don't need permission to do something. I mean, I mean, permission creatively as well. Gotcha. Uh, I think you have to create your own opportunities. If you just wait for permission to make things or, or to, to get a better job or to increase your rates or to go after a new kind of work, no one's going to give you that permission. Everybody else is worried about their own career. You have to make your career.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what does that look like? I mean, I, I have been very impressed. Uh, have we have we physically met before? I'm trying trying to remember.
1: Um, it's limited. You know what actually we did. We did. One time we met at Sammy's. <laughs> okay. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this was you and JP were shooting like product reviews at Sammy's. I was buying a, a tripod or something.
0: Down in, in Pasadena. Yeah, in Pasadena, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> what? That's blowing my mind. Yeah. Cause it's from a distance. Like, I mean, we've, we've had the same clients for years. We, we, my brother-in-law Kenneth works with you a lot. And so it's like, like I just, from a distance feel like I know you, I feel like we hang out all the time. I'm like, ah, oh, like good old Philip. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's the only time we've ever met. That's embarrassing. If, yeah. no, I think we, we might've probably-
1: met a couple. Hold on. What about a JP Christmas party? Maybe we met there too.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think you're right. That's right. Okay. So, so we are fast friends. Yeah. We've known each other for years. Oh, we're best friends. Oh, <laughs> best friends. That's right. <laughs> cool. So, okay. So I completely agree with you. And I, and I'm going through a little bit about, uh, of that right now as, as well, where I was doing a lot of TV movies and I was being a hired gun. as just a cinematographer for a long time. But, um, you start to realize that, uh, if you, if you are just a person that gets hired, you don't really own anything. And, and I'm at that point in my career where I kind of want to have my cake and eat it too. Like I want both. Like I I want to have that creative cinematic experience of shooting films. Uh, but I also want to own something. I want something that's mine that I can be proud of and say, I built this. I built this from the ground up. And I, and I have seen that a lot with you. Talk to me about, uh, I think Heck's pretty new. Heck video is pretty new, right? A couple years old, but before that, um, what were you doing? Was it a production company? Was it just Philip Goodwin? Uh, talk to me about how you said, now nah, I'm in it to win it. It's mine. It's my business. We're going for it.
1: Yeah, that's great. You know, I really admire that about you too, because I could see in both our careers how we wanted to reach a point in our career and that was our goal. And we thought when we got there, we'd really arrive. But after you live at that point in your career, when you, when you finally get there, you know, a year, a few years in, you realize there's actually that was a false summit. There's farther to go, and a lot of people stop there. Either I don't know if they're afraid to move on, or
0: maybe the opportunities. I think it's complacency, right? Yeah, it could be. Like people, people get very comfortable making, let's say, a quarter million dollars a year. You know, and it's like, and, and a lot of people do it, and they get there, and it's in all uh, aspects very successful you know, but, but what happens is creativity is stifled and you just kind of give up and and die.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got that. That's the point I got to on my lunch breaks, writing those screenplays, learning after effects. I, I got to a point after a vacation, when I came back to my corporate job and said, somebody else can make these videos. I, I need to do bigger and better things. Like Mm -hmm. I had that drive inside to do something. And, and that's a hard conversation to tell my wife to come up with this whole scheme with my boss of how I could transition safely. You know, I I didn't want to quit my job. I wanted to take care of my income and and do it safely. I had to get a little sneaky maybe, but.
0: What a cool boss though. (laughs) I mean, like, uh, and and maybe he's listening to the shaking his fists in the air that I gave you the the chance and you, but, uh, but I mean, like to say, yeah, you know what? Yeah. Go take this little internship for a month. And I mean, I'm sure he saw it as beneficial eventually for their company, but, uh, but what, a, what a cool thing for him to do. Very cool. Thank you, Tyler. Yeah. So
1: uh, you asked about uh, owning something, right? I think was.
0: Yeah. Why not? Why not just, you know, become a creative director at some, you know, Intel or something like that and get paid two fifty or $300,000 a year and just climb the ranks there and be satisfied? Like why, why own something at all? Why kind of risk everything and, and go for that, uh, that, you know, freelance world?
1: Wow, that – you know, if I had known I could have uh, had a 250 to 300 creative director job, I probably wouldn't have gone after it. I feel like I don't have enough uh, foresight into the industry to know exactly where to belong, but when...
0: – <laughs> So it's just all my na- naivety. Great, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Most,
1: <laughs> mostly a lot of naivety. Um, so I was – Finally working at Zoic as an assistant editor. It was great. I got to work on all kinds of fun projects and shows. You know, they were working on Mad Men and Once Upon a Time and and really exciting TV projects at the time. Really great people. Great, great industry experience. I want to say it was 15 bucks an hour or something like that. At the same time, you know, I might get $5,000 for a little corporate video project or something. I was really new to the freelance world and those were big jobs to me. And my wife and I decided, okay, if we do 20 $5,000 projects a year, we'd make a hundred grand. And yeah, that didn't sound like that many projects. And <laughs> right. so we made a list like, do I know 20 clients? Can, you know, like, could, could I drum up that much work? You know, we kind of made our little math our little, our little strategy on paper. We realized let's do it. We have enough savings because of our corporate jobs. And because she had been working while I was in film school that we could do it we we could live in l a for one year if we, if we were you know spending really tight and uh it wouldn't be damaging and and after a year, if I really couldn't get freelancing off the ground or, or couldn't get another studio job or whatever, then we'd look elsewhere, maybe we'd go up to the bay or back up to Portland whatever so that was the first goal and uh and we cruised right up to a hundred
0: k. Did you really? You made it that first year? Yeah, I made it. Um, oh, congrats! That's really fantastic. Yeah, thank you. It it it
1: worked out. We we were we were blown away. I was like, I can't believe people are just like hiring me. Like, don't they know I'm just some <laughs> some guy in my apartment in South Pasadena making videos? But you know, when you can do the camera work and the motion graphics, and you know a little about sound, and you have some friends who can help with the color correction or whatever. You can make a really great looking piece of content that that people associate with a really high value, especially people who are, you know, 10, 20 years ago, were paying a lot more for video than they have to now as as the democratization has brought prices down. Absolutely. It's really exciting. And and from there, you know, that became the equation. How can I get more clients this year? How can I charge more per project? And that's really what led to heck.
0: Nice. Uh, you did leave out one element though. Um, you'd mentioned the camera and the editing and the graphics and the color correction and all that stuff, but you left out the, I think the most important thing, which is what your dad had taught you, is that uh, if you're going to do this, you have to just be that guy, that guy that's just like going to get things done and going to be nice to people. And I, and I do truly think that that is like an element of success, right? Uh, and I think it has to be because, because I think there's a lot of people that have cameras, there's a lot of people that uh, have knowledge in editing and motion graphics and color correction that aren't just completely crushing it right now, that aren't able to make a hundred grand in their first year of freelancing. Um, And I really do think that there's something to be said about the, the character for you are. And I think, I mean, like even we've met twice now, I think we've decided, but I feel like I know you because of how nice you are every time I have met you or just like your interactions on the phone. Cause I think we've collaborated on some projects and stuff too in the past. And so what do you think about that?
1: It's a great question. I I don't think there's anything special about me, although I do try to be honest and nice. I, I think those values are actually what most people would rank as their highest some some of the highest values they appreciate, like on set or, or in a in a video vendor. But Steven Spielberg, who I idolize clearly, um uh-huh. I read a book or a podcast some some point about Steven Spielberg, all right? Okay. And they said he had three things that made him so great. This was this was their uh reverse engineering why he became Steven Spielberg. And it was the technical understanding, right? He knows cameras, he knows visual effects. It's his relationships with the casting crew. He's good with people. And oh dang it. I don't know the third <laughs> one. Nope. Okay, we gotta abandon the whole thing. But um you know, I have that on a post-it note on my desk now for almost 10 years. I look at that every day and I think, how am I doing on each of those? Because you can be the best motion designer in the world or the best cinematographer in the world. And everybody knows, knows those people who they just don't call again for the next project. And a lot of it is that social component or the personality component. It's not always fair. And sometimes you hire people who maybe aren't your favorite to work with because their work really stands out. But you want to work with people that you love that you get along great with.
0: Yeah. Oftentimes it's the opposite, right? So like I'll hire someone that's like maybe not the best that I know at whatever job, but, uh, they're like, they're like my guy or my, you know, it's just like, that's my person. Like I, I love hanging out with them and it's their personality that really makes me want want to like choose them over somebody else. Oh, totally.
1: And, and, uh, I, I will, I'll be the first to admit I am not, the world's best motion designer or after effects expert or whatever mm. uh there are so many people better than me my, my instagram feed is better motion designers and cinematographers than me <laughs> so i get well, a lot again. of inspiration from that <laughs> yeah but perfect. um yeah that i i think i think when you when you can find a project to create an opportunity you you build up your reel or your portfolio in a way that if you can keep it going, that cycle will keep paying itself off. Like like that water jetpack video, you know, this interesting invention came out. They had a, a really lame video on their website, and I just emailed them. Hey, me and my buddy Devin would love to come out to Florida and make a video for you guys. Uh, you, I saw you have a video. It's not that great. Check out some of our work. Maybe we could work together. And they responded yeah. like, the next day. Come on out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like something that a lot of people don't realize too, is that like, once you go directly, I I think once like, especially in that time period, that was probably back like what, 2011, 2012. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's like video presence was everything. You know what I mean? And all you had to do was like ask any business owner, what's your video presence? And they'd be like, you know, we're actually talking about that. We really need something done. It's like, yeah, of course I mentioned um, like right after I graduated, like, Googling my name, finding another Lars Lindstrom in Australia that had a business. And I emailed him and said, Hey, I like your business, but your video sucks. Can I do one for you? And he said, yeah, sure. you know, and, uh, and that's, and that's just like what the time was. And I actually don't think it's changed very much. I think you could still do a lot of that same thing today. Um, so, so talk to me about then, uh, creating heck, what is heck and why the name heck? Um, and, uh, talk to me about that business.
1: So freelancing Thankfully, I was very fortunate that the phone kept ringing, and pretty soon, the travel was really adding up. I I was based in LA, but I love travel. I love seeing the world, and I'm so curious about other industries, and I want maximum variety in my career. Like I I would love to make a different video, or I would love every video we make to be for a completely new client or industry. I I just really love that part of it. Well, there was two problems with freelancing. First of all, I was going to be on the road all the time or my bandwidth was full. You know, I could only make so many videos at once. And my strategy has always been to make maybe, maybe in my early days, four or five projects at once. So every day I spend a couple hours on the project. Mm. So maybe it takes a few weeks or a few months to finish the project, but I can do four or five at a time and they kind of overlap with each other. That was always my flow. Well, when the sixth or seventh project called, maybe it was even a, a more exciting opportunity or better paying. I would have to turn it down. And that feels bad when you're a freelancer. Yeah, it feels terrible. Yeah. And the, the second problem was I started bringing more artists and filmmakers into my projects, but a lot of my clients thought it was me making their videos. And it mm. was kind of awkward to delegate like, yeah, I can make your video. Let me let me introduce you to this animator who's actually going to be animating it because I'm too busy, but I'll work with him. Like that that was a pain point that felt awkward with a lot of clients who were kind of expecting like a one man band.
0: Yeah, Philip Goodwin one man band, right? Yeah, so like they wanted me if they if they went to
1: philipgoodwin.com they didn't want me to run it through somebody else or whatever and yeah, of course, of course. It helps actually, you know, you by doing that you don't have to turn away a project, but that was that was a growing pain that was really affecting freelance. So, it was time to start a company. Mm. I I also saw my my agency and production company friends getting much bigger contracts because they could build up their work, build up their presence. And even just the perception of being a company company can get you bigger agency jobs, you know, six figure agency jobs.
0: Yeah, that was, I'm sure, I think you listened to the uh, Amy Stellhorn episode, uh, the creator of Big Mobile. And that was like, I think the biggest takeaway for me was that when her friend uh, went to Intel, she said, yeah, come on as a freelancer. Amy said, I want to come on, but not as a freelancer. I want to come on as a vendor. Give me a couple of days, like a weekend to put a company together. And she went to New, uh, like a New Mexico LLC because it was the fastest to file and came on as a a vendor rather than like a freelancer, as a company, like a creative agency. And um, yeah, I, it was f- so fascinating. And uh, But I, I completely agree with you. I think you you hit it right on.
1: Now, I do want to say, coming back to my early point, I don't think solo artists should pretend to be company. That, that, that is still true. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't pretend to be a company when you're not. But if you can set up a company.
0: Why? why? I'm just curious a little bit why you think that.
1: This is my personal philosophy. I think it, it works for a lot of people. But the relationship makes a lot more sense when I'm hiring, for example, Kenneth Merrill as a DP. I'm not hiring his LLC or some brand that he's telling me. I'm hiring Kenneth Merrill and mm-hmm. he's actually producing a commercial for us over the weekend right now where oh, nice. he's crewed it up. He's taken care of everything. He's, he's run the whole thing really autonomously. I don't need my crew to pretend that they're companies to join the project. I, I want to understand the role they're filling on the crew. And that's a really personal relationship. Now, mm. to clients, I definitely see the need especially for a one-man band or, or like a, a freelance artist to have a brand or, or to try to appear to have a bigger presence or a more professional setup or something. I just think you lose that personal touch. I, I think, I think clients really want to work with an artist and not with an artist pretending to be a brand.
0: So there is some, 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 uh, sacrifice to creating a company As you get rid of that, like that personal one-on-one relationship with some, some clients.
1: Yeah. And you're going to outgrow it. I mean, whatever, whatever you think your brand is, you are gonna outgrow it in a few years. So don't, I I never wanted to build up some freelance brand for myself that I was going to outgrow. I just wanted to be my name, which I'll never outgrow.
0: Interesting. Okay. So, so, but you did create heck. So why? So obviously you're turning down freelance gigs. That's not good for business. So you start hiring on people to help out and uh, in order to get some more clients or bigger clients scale a little bit, you create heck video. Um, talk to me about the, the types of projects you guys are doing and, and uh, if it's successful, some growing pains, maybe what wasn't successful. Talk to me about some of that.
1: So I started setting up this company, you know, re- researching the names I wanted, trying to plan out how, how to start a production company was probably something I Googled multiple times. <laughs> I, I, I really wanted to do it right. Like, how do you set up the banking? Like, what do you need a lawyer? I had, I have so many questions about the business side because I just went to film school. I, I never learned about these things. And there's so many ways to learn. I, I, if, if if you put in the time, even just Wikipedia, you can really learn how to set up a business. You make a lot of mistakes along the way, which I do every day, but you, you'll get there. You can be self-made. That's, that's really exciting to me. That, that's why I never have gone back to a corporate job. I, I love the self-made feeling. Yeah. So um, along the way, I met this producer, Michael Potter, who had similar goals. And we ended up merging his clients into HECK and forming a bigger clientele base, which really helped. I didn't want to take on any debt. I think a lot of production companies do, and I don't think the risk is worth the reward. I, I think if you can keep money in the door, you can save up. Maybe it's a little slower. You can save up to spend on your goals, which uh, 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 which is a core philosophy to me. Um, for example, when I moved to L.A. with my wife, we decided $10,000 was what we could spend on gear. So... I got a MacBook Pro, got a Canon 6D, and like two little lenses with it, a <laughs> little basic kit for ten grand. And that yeah. that yeah. was my camera until last year when we bought two Komodos. Incredible. For how many years then? Like six years, seven years? Yeah. Now, of course, I, had a, I actually had a 5D and a, an a R come in there. And usually, I would hire DPs who had better cameras, really. But I didn't yeah. jump yeah. into some, you know, red whatever, 2013 red camera because I didn't have the cash and I didn't see how it would pay off for my goals. Now we have two Komodos and just in time, we got this TV show lined up. They're, they're shooting every day. They're, they're paid off on the first job. Incredible.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about that TV show. Um, you, you just created a TV show. I think you had, you had a season one, you're filming season two now. It's called Freelancers, two word, right? It is
1: one word, but it is Freelancers season two. Yeah.
0: Okay, uh, one word: freelancers. And and I I'm kind of excited about it. Talk to me about the premise. And is it produced entirely by Heck Video, or what's uh, who's what's going on? Who's making it?
1: Freelancers is great. It's a comedy show. They did a season one on YouTube, and for season two they crowdfunded it through VidAngel now Angel Studios, and their really passionate fan base raised enough capital for for the whole production. So.
0: Incredible.
1: As heck, we had produced a couple of big commercial campaigns where we cast these great comedians, Mallory Everton, Stacey Harkey. And uh, through these commercial projects, we had a great time working with them on set. And uh, I would say pretty organized, pretty smooth productions, at least as uh, smooth as could be. And working with all these comedians over the years kind of gave us some rapport together. And And on our commercial shoots, they would tell us about About their TV projects and how they were going and some of the pain points. We started talking about ideas of how we could help, you know, solutions that worked for us. And when season two came up as a possibility, they asked, heck, if we would produce it. So Mm. what we brought actually before the crowdfunding campaign was drafting up the budget, the schedule, like trying to map out how we would build this project. We've never produced a TV show. We really don't have permission from anyone to do this other than Mallory and Natalie, who have put a lot of their trust in us. But it's, to us, we see it as like a 30-day commercial shoot with a lot more, a lot more art department needs and a, a much bigger cast. But we, we came on in the earliest days. We, we helped set up how the project would go, um, how we'd spend the money, how much money it would take how we'd crew it up where we'd film the time of the year all that and there's a million decisions you know oh yeah um, so uh, Mallory took the lead as, as showrunner and head writer and um, we've been prepping the rest of the phases plan- planning it all out and we just started rolling this week so now it's a 30 day shoot um, me and Michael as producers so we live in base camp and on set making sure all the departments are running and keeping an eye on the budget and the schedule and Hopefully, by the end of the spring, we'll have a whole show in the can.
0: Yeah, hopefully, if nothing goes wrong. And I guess that's my question: is like, like, how did you do this? How did you build this thing? And and it just from like my perspective, it seems like everything's gone pretty well in your favor. Talk to us about some of the growing pains, though. I'm curious, like, what did you fail at? Have you ever failed in your entire life? And I and I want to hear about it because from an outsider's perspective, Phil, it seems like you just. Cruise through life, and everything kind of turns out in your favor so have you had any uh failures?
1: oh my gosh <laughs> that's a great question and um to to anyone who's been deceived by uh the outside perception of my career, rest assured we mess up plenty here at heck um <laughs> you know if i if i'm honest i I can't look at a lot of failures um I've never been fired from something uh I've never like really blown it um but man have I messed up um even just on freelancers you know there's a lot of decisions I would change uh it was really tricky to schedule I, I would definitely schedule it differently but it, th- that that caused some some processes to overlap or to rush in ways that we definitely didn't want to but you know Tomorrow is another chance to do better. You can always fix it. So we, we tweak the schedule, we tweak the budget. I just got a text about having a budget meeting. So I think you oh, have boy. to take it one day at a time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you, and I think you just, you just learn, right? So you, you make mistakes and rather than run away and cower from those mistakes, you, you double down and you learn from, from them. At least I do anyway, anytime. Cause I, I've obviously made plenty of mistakes, you know, I, Set up the settings wrong on the camera, or what I, like. I, you know, dropped the ball on a delivery time a date or whatever. And, um, and you, you learn from those experiences, those native experiences, and you can do one of two things. You can run away and hide, or you can double down and say, I know now what never to do again. I'm going to fix this and come back stronger. Uh, and it seems like that's what, uh, that's what you're doing.
1: Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. I, I just thought of this project, Miami Muscle. We did a series of workout videos. This was our, my biggest freelance project at the time. And in post, they we, we realized that the client was expecting nine categories of videos, and I was expecting nine videos. Wow. So suddenly they needed like five, ten times the amount of content we were even planning to deliver. Like our whole post budget was completely overshadowed by this problem i think it was ultimately a, a client mistake i'd probably put 51 percent of it or more on them but you know i couldn't quit the job i couldn't be fired i i had to tell him look here's here's what we're gonna do to fix it we're gonna we're gonna give you this much for free like here's what we're gonna do to bend over backwards to make it happen and we also need more money and that's a skill being that guy that's taken me a lot of years to figure out but It's really healthy. You know, these companies, these brands, they, most of the time, they are paying you to make them content that will help them make more money. So you need to hold them accountable to their stake in the content
0: yeah any any tips and tricks on uh, on dealing with budgeting because uh, I, I assume that as a production company you've got a lot of people will come in and say what's it gonna cost us to make a 30 second video of x and and I know that that can be a really i that's my least favorite part like at least initially because it's like uh, i I don't know like I don't know like do you have creative yet no we don't okay well <laughs> like like do you have any tips and tricks on uh, on budgeting anything and, and how you're able to do that
1: I think other people must be a lot better at this than me, but I would say the core skills that help us get through it, whatever the size of the budget is or whatever the type of client it is, is just figuring out those expectations as early as possible. So you both understand the same expectations. My whole pricing philosophy came from a podcast actually that I listened to in my early days. Sean West has a great, a great podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, he, he calls this relative pricing. I didn't know this at the time, but I was doing this, which is pricing it, pricing your work for what it's worth to the client. Um, Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense in every industry or for every service provider, but to me, it really makes sense in video because I can film a really nice couple walking on the beach for a wedding video. That's worth whatever, a couple grand, or if I put a Pepsi in their hand, it's worth 200 grand. And it's right. the exact same shot, but it's a different process for sure, you know, working for a bride versus working for a, a big corporation. But, yeah, it, it's worth a different amount to them. So on every project, we try to understand, you know, the going rates in in that industry or or the investment, you know, for that company. Sometimes we'll do a Kickstarter video that's really low, five figures for a brand, whereas for an established brand, we might make a really similar video that's whatever, high five figures or into the six figures. That's it's both both sides are very happy with the pricing because it's what they expect to be paying for what they're getting. They're getting something different with that content. It's serving a different purpose for them. So that's how we approach pricing. Interesting.
0: Yeah, that's uh, I, I mean, I I guess I was also doing that to some degree, but I, I didn't really like say, yeah, I'm charging more because you're making more from this type of product like i'm not going to gouge apple when apple comes to me and says hey we want you to do the exact same thing you did for whatever and i charge maybe 40 grand for the other person i'm not going to charge apple 400,000 because it's apple but uh but i might charge 60 or 70 so that i'm like it's a fail-proof thing right and that's what it is for me it's like you you charge more for those different clients so that you, there is absolutely like it's like insurance i am going to have room, wiggle room here to get exactly the results they're looking for so that no surprises come up on set. Like uh, you know, if you're shooting a wedding video for 2 grand, like it's just you and like a DSLR or maybe a like a gimbal or something like that. And uh, you've got your cards but no backups, you don't have a DIT on set, you don't have anybody like checking the highlights and the ocean waves behind you. It's like all those fail-proof things come with those bigger clients. And uh, yeah, so that's I think why the price increases uh, pretty dramatically.
1: I'll just I'll just add a thought to that, which is, yeah, it's not about marking up your prices to take advantage of a brand or anything like that. It, it's not like a, a car mechanic who charges a Lamborghini more just because it's a Lamborghini. It's it's because sure. when you work for Pepsi or Google or Facebook, they expect a much higher level of service, your process, your customer service, your professionalism, your team. That they expect. A more expensive experience Uh, they expect more people to be involved that's an expense they expect higher quality gear Uh, they expect more time that's a huge expense so it's about sizing the the budget for the clients needs and I had a friend taught me this really well Wow I was so lucky to have this friend at an agency he said hey we need a video what would it cost for you to come out to this university and make this video I was so nervous I told him I think we could do it for about 10,000 cuz that was that was a big project to me as an early freelancer. Sure. He said, "Oh good, okay. 25,000. Yeah, I think that'll be great." And <laughs> I was like, "No, no, no. I, I think I'll only take 10. I was afraid. I thought I thought he would be mad if I said the wrong number." <laughs> that that is never true, first of all.
0: Yeah, it's not.
1: And it's not it's kind not of money, first of all. It's not his money. In fact, he wants to invest more money in this content because it's going to make him look good to his boss. Totally. So, I he said he said no. We we need to spend more than ten on this. We we need a proper crew there. We need to make sure that you have this backed up on multiple hard drives. Like he was really trying to help me level up my process, and I was like, wow. First of all, thank you. Mm -hmm. And and also an improvement to how I approach that pricing. It it really helped. Now we usually give a range. We want to help, you know, we don't want to shoot first. We want to give a range so that we don't scare anybody away.
0: Totally. Well, cool. So, so the business is doing well, I assume.
1: Yeah. You know, the, the real test is, is it fixing the problems I had as a freelancer? And it's great because right now it is. Michael and I are on set producing this TV show. And meanwhile, we have we have a dozen other artists making a dozen other videos for us. Uh, like I mentioned, we had a, a shoot with Kenneth over the weekend. I, I didn't even have to be there. That's never been possible for me before, but incredible. we have really, yeah. really trusted people. And as long as you can do the admin, the management side, which does take a lot of time in its own way, um, you know, you can multitask our, our little four to five projects at a time formula has has evolved and grown, but heck keeps making videos. the phone keeps ringing i I feel in, in very, very blessed, Yeah.
0: now are you're still living in the bay, but you're right now you're in Utah?
1: yeah, I love the Bay area. I love California. Uh, I brought my family out here for the shoot, though you know, six weeks away from home, I didn't want to be without them.
0: no, of course, um, so what are you doing uh, uh, other than so the business is doing well, you guys are making money um how are you keeping that money? Are you investing it at all? Or are you in real estate are you just making money on the equipment rentals for now. Talk to me about uh, some of the the future aspects of uh, maybe early retirement or growing your your income.
1: I am so bad at that. I am like a checking account level person. That's like as far as my financial savvy goes. <laughs> so I would love to learn more from you on this, Lars. But uh, one thing I I'm still hoping to set up is more residual income. Right now, I make it once, And I sell it once.
0: That treadmill, right? The second you get off that treadmill, it stops.
1: Yeah. So we've talked about heck apps, heck content, um, even just stickers. Like we have so many fun animators who could just sell sticker packs or whatever in the app store. You know, there's lots of things I'd like to explore. But right now we're doing an old school model where we hire people growing organically so that we can take on more projects. And that's growing our income right now. We still don't have any debt, but instead we're growing the average project size so that each project has more budget to work with. We really protect our bottom line. Our our company fee is twenty percent on on every project minimum. That's we we try to treat that as sacred so that every job is profitable. So we can offer retirement packages to our employees. Uh, you know, pay for everybody's. Computers and Adobe subscriptions, all that stuff. You know, we want to make sure that we have a, a well-running
0: machine. Do you have employees, full-time employees, or are they independent contractors? How How's your business structured?
1: We have four full-time employees and a lot of subcontractors. We, we're talking about hiring a few more people right now because we think the growth is there, the demand is there. And I'm really conservative, so I don't want to hire anybody and have. Cash just burning. A lot of my friends' production yeah, companies guess, have done that. I
0: guess that's my question is how, how are you able to keep your overhead low but then also have enough people to, to fulfill the requests and requirements of the, of the jobs that are coming in?
1: It helps that we've never had a brick-and-mortar office. Um, mm. I think a lot of my friends said, I want to own a production company. I need a big office. I need a big room full of metal shelves, full of camera gear. I've never done that. With COVID, I was glad because a lot of offices, (laughs) you know, were just wasting money for the last year. Yeah. Um, Instead, we keep our overhead really low by avoiding the temptation to spend on gear. I think we will get into offices, maybe Utah and California this year. But even then, I'm going to buy a cheap little office. I'm going to fill it with IKEA furniture, used furniture. You know, I'm, I'm not drawn to like the flashy the flashiness of filmmaking gear, or or the cool office with like twelve kinds of cereal every day, or whatever. Um, <laughs> I would much rather know that my company is secure and doesn't have debt, and you know I can hire my friends with healthy salaries. That that that's way more important. So I think priorities is part of it.
0: Yeah, love it. Well, cool, man. I, I uh, really can't tell you how much I appreciate your time coming on and, and chatting with us for a little bit about your business and, and you and getting to know you a little bit. Uh, I feel like we need to grab lunch or something sometime soon.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Next time I'm down there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you got it, man. But uh, but thanks. I know you got a lunch to get to, so I'll let you get to it. Really appreciate you being here.
1: Hey, thanks, Lars. I, I want to learn so much from other creatives and filmmakers, so keep it up.
0: Well, thanks guys for being here and sticking around to the very, very end. Wasn't that fun? He's fun. You should check out his uh, Instagram page, heck.video, or, or Philip Goodwin, and uh, follow along. They're doing some really exciting stuff with some really cool clients. Um, go ahead and check out that Acorns page in my Instagram uh, bio link at Creative Income Podcast. And let's let's get three people to sign up for this thing. I want to make some some money. Let's uh, let's pay the bills. You know. Let's see if it works. Thanks guys. Have a great week.